Good evening. Good evening, all. Hi, my name is Iggy Chong. Um, I'm an alumnus from the Sada School of Business, as well as um, having the pleasure of being the chair of the Hong Kong Alumni UBC Leadership Council. Welcome to today's uh, event. It's a pleasure to see so many of you here this evening, and thank you for coming here uh, out of your busy schedule to spend time with us for what promises to be a very fascinating program and an important conversation about healthy aging. We're delighted to have two members of UBC's Faculty of Medicine here tonight, Dr. Roger Wong and Dr. Janice Eng, who will engage in a conversation on healthy aging surrounding three video vignettes that Dr. Wong did at a recent TEDx talk. Now, as many of you know, UBC recently received a transformative gift of 150 million Hong Kong dollars from UBC alumnus Dr. Edwin Leung to establish a healthy aging program at UBC. Dr. Leung's vision is a world in which people can age in better health with greater mental and physical agility. His gift will enable UBC to recruit the Edwin S.H. Leung UBC Chair in Healthy Aging, the Edwin S.H. Leung UBC Professor uh, for Healthy Aging and Early to Mid-Career Faculty, all supported by trainees and research staff. This gift will also complement and enhance excellence in healthy aging research through collaboration with scientists and clinicians across UBC and around the world. I'm also pleased, pleased to acknowledge Dr. Leung's colleagues here today, Brian Brown, who many of you will remember as a former Managing Director of BC Trade and Invest, as well as uh, Bonnie Wong and Marcus Hong of the Tai Hong Fai Charitable Foundation. Thank you for coming. And now, on to tonight's program. The experts from UBC will discuss leading-edge work on healthy aging, and following the program will be involving you, the audience, in a Q&A. It's now my great pleasure to introduce to you one of this evening's special guests, Dr. Roger Wong, Executive Associate Dean of Education within UBC's Faculty of Medicine, as well as Clinical Professor in the Division of Geriatric Medicine at UBC. He is also Consultant Physician of the Geriatric Consultation Program at Vancouver General Hospital and has served as the 13th President of the Canadian Geriatric Society. As a world-renowned advocate and educator, for advancing senior care and well-being, Roger works tirelessly to advance academic and clinical, uh, clinical research. And so please welcome to the stage, Roger. So good evening, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to be joining you this evening in Hong Kong. Um, it's always like homecoming for me to be back to Hong Kong. Um, tonight we're gonna have uh, an opportunity to have some conversations, conversations that matter. We're gonna be um, learning about uh, healthy aging, in particular tips that will actually work for you and for me, for all of us, because we are aging. No matter what stage of life we are at, it's very interesting. Uh, this past weekend was Father's Day weekend, I was just, on my way flying from Vancouver to Hong Kong, flipping through my phone and trying to see some of my own family photos. And then as I was looking at a photo with my parents, I start to wonder, geez, I actually look a lot like my dad. <laughs> and certainly when I was growing up, I used to think, wow, you know, this part of me looks like my dad. That part of me looks like my mom, and then I used to get very, very anxious and start pulling hair out until I figure it's no longer a good thing if you take a look at my hairstyle right now. But I think, have you thought about who do you look like? Your mom or your dad? And I think there was a really helpful opportunity for me to reflect on some of those pieces a uh, couple of months ago in Vancouver, I was actually involved in an opportunity 
at the Queen Elizabeth Theater delivering a TEDx talk to a live audience of 2,000 people. And this evening, with your permission, we are going to share with you the entirety of that presentation broken up into three segments. We're going to give you the real story that happens behind the scene for each of those segments. So for those of you who actually want to hear the real dirt, you got it. It's tonight. In fact, this is the first time after the TEDx events that I have given this particular presentation in a public forum. So I hope you would enjoy it. And without further ado, we're going to see the first segment of this TEDx talk, which is an opportunity for me to share a very personal story. So maybe we can get going. around the world and here in Canada are moving into care facilities too soon. It's about losses, losing autonomy, and losing established community of families and friends. With new technology and compassion, we can help extend senior living at home. This means staying in familiar surroundings hanging out with familiar people, savoring life-important memories. Do you know that if we reach the age of 85, there's a one in three chance that we'll live in a care facility? As my son will say, wow, that's not cool. Last May, I was visiting mom during Mother's Day weekend. And right before dinner, we're sitting right around a little table, reminiscing through old photos. Mom says to me, wow, look how much I look like grandma. And mom is right. She does look like grandma. Who do you look like? Your mom? Your dad? What about 30 years from now? Who will you look like? Looking at grandma's eyes, I am her favorite grandson. <laughs> I'm telling you that as one of eight grandkids, all of whom we're told we are her favorite. <laughs> but really, I am her favorite grandson. <laughs> 10 years old, suburb in Hong Kong, off to the farmer's market. Grandma is wearing her gray top and pants with that yellow umbrella she's using as a walking stick. I have to slow down, she cannot keep up. Grandma calls me by her nickname for me, Ming Zai, which in Chinese means shining light. Ming Zai, we need fresh ingredients. That day, Grandma is cooking for the family, and I know she's going to cook my favorite spot prawns. Fresh, succulent prawns. Mmm. Sweet tomato sauce. That day, Grandma doesn't eat much. Her eyes sparkle as she watches me devour all the spot prawns that she cooked. Grandma was very close to me and a big part of my life until my parents and I moved to Canada when I was in grade 12. And I stayed in Canada afterwards for university and work. Like many families, we live distances apart. Grandma in Hong Kong. Uneven wooden floors, narrow stairways, and forgetting to lock the front door. Grandma's home is becoming more dangerous with each birthday. Like many others, my grandma is forced into a care facility. Established in my career, I wanted to see grandma. I traveled to Hong Kong 
And in that taxi going to grandma's care facility for the very first time, I imagine an environment that is appropriate for my grandma. Perhaps an old heritage home, perhaps the smell of home cooking in the background, and perhaps playing in the background grandma's favorite music. Moon River, wider than a mile, I'm crossing you in style someday. This cannot be right. Gray industrial building, rundown part of town, noisy road construction. Maybe I have the wrong address. I get off the taxi, there's no front desk. I push the elevator to go to the third floor, and there I smell something pungent and sterile. I get off the elevator, still no one to stop me, and I take a look. Oh my. Rows of steel cot beds with wafer thin mattresses. Oh my God, are you serious? 80 year old seniors roaming all around the place. Where's grandma? Some of them have dementia. I walk down the hallway. Where is grandma? I find this older lady sitting in a steel cot bed, her eyes staring blankly across the floor. Older, much more frail than I thought. Our eyes connect. There, that's a familiar smile. Ming Tai, Grandma. That instant, I realized that of all people, I could have prevented this. Here I am, as a geriatrics doctor, who look after seniors every day to help them stay as long as possible in their own homes. And yet, I realize I'm too late for my own grandma. Too late to move her out of their care facility because she is not medically stable to move. I never want this to happen to you or your loved ones. I have to say, this is the first time I watched this video in the city where grandma used to live. And to this date, forgive me if I still get emotional on this. Um, I don't know how many of you have had a very similar story, whether it is a parent or grandmother or grandfather. But to join me on stage now, I would like to invite Dr. Janice Ng uh, professor and Canada Research Chair at the University of British Columbia to please come over, join me on stage, and share her perspective on this. Dr. Ng is the Director of Rehab Research Program of the Vancouver Coastal Health Research Institute. A couple of her programs are world-renowned and in fact have been implemented in over 1,500 sites in 40 different countries. Dr. Ng is a renowned and award-winning researcher at, here at UBC and, in fact, has received numerous awards, so many that I'm going to highlight a couple as a Canada Researcher Tier 1 position and recipient of the Women of Distinction Award from the YWCA, plus many others. Let's give her a warm round of applause. Janice, that story, I think, to, to me was extremely personal and emotional, and I'm not sure what are some of the thoughts that go through your mind as you watch that story. Yeah. So it certainly hits home, and um, you know, seniors and aging, I see it from a research perspective where I think, oh, we could do so much more, so many questions to answer. But really, it's similar in terms of all of us have a personal story. My own parents are both 94, uh, live in Richmond, BC. Uh, my father has had Alzheimer's for the last 12 years, um, and my mother has had uh, dementia after a stroke for about eight years. 
and re made the really difficult decision uh, about a year ago for them to transfer from their own home uh, in Richmond to uh, assisted living facility in Richmond as well about a year ago. And it is really difficult to know when is that right time. So all those questions and thoughts were resonating with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, in particular with this audience, one of the pieces that really um, strike me is the, the unique environment here in Hong Kong. Because Grandma used to live in Hong Kong. And as you could see from the video, the, the setup of the, the home situation, the small amount of space, very narrow stairs, the broken wooden floor, I think uh, are things that we see still to this date very, very commonly. And I'm not sure how many of you actually also lived through the experience that, that I did because we live distances apart. Some of you might be traveling a lot. Some of you actually may um, think back to your seniors at home that extra bit of geographic distance just made it so much more difficult. Mm -hmm. I wonder, um, you know, from some of the work that you have done in, in trying to, to uh, preserve the function of seniors from rehabilitation point of view, um, the support that they have, uh, whether it is closer to home or sometimes further away, how does that play in that process of rehabilitation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think certainly Canada has been a leader in supporting seniors and rehabilitating. And I think what we have seen over the last 10 years is a shift of resources um, moving from the acute care more to the community. Uh, and it has been a long battle uh, because there has, you know, really needed money in acute care, but we really need more. So we've seen that shift in the community um, where people coming out from a hip fracture or a stroke, where we know that the length of stay is shortened in the hospital, um, really because the patient wants to go home. They really, really do want to go home but then trying to put in some supports in the community side of things so that they can function independently, have a care team that comes into their home, looks at environmental aspects, and are they going to be able to cope? Uh, so we have really seen that shift in, in moving from the acute care to the community, and I think that certainly rehabilitation has been a big part of that. Absolutely, and for me as a geriatrics doctor who really have looked over many, many patients over the years, um, I, I think every situation, the first thing I learned is every situation is unique. Every family unit is different. And therefore, there's no real one-size-fits-all, per se. I think, though, when we look at UBC, a lot of our researchers and our faculty members, clinicians, have done a huge amount of work in the area of research on aging. Mm -hmm. I, you, you heard from Janice in terms of some of the rehabilitation aspects. Certainly uh, from, from my own work, uh, I have spent uh, many years uh, in my career developing systems, hospital services that are user-friendly for seniors. Um, the, the model that we call this an, an ACE unit, an acute care for elders unit, is something that um, has really resonated throughout the world. But I think there are many other opportunities, and as we will be watching later on uh, in the video as we continue, there are some tips that we actually can learn from the research that we have done to help keeping seniors longer at home. Because again, that environment in the nursing home, I'm not sure whether that resonates with you or not, but the, 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 the sensation, the smell, the vision of what you see, and the people kind of roaming around certainly was something that really struck me as I saw Grandma for the first time uh, in her care home facility. Mm -hmm. I wonder um, from a, a home environment point of view, um, what are some of the, the, the things that we have learned that are important in maintaining function? Yeah. So my background is in uh, physical therapy and occupational therapy, and the home environment is one of the key things that we look at. Um, and it, you know, it ranges from the front door, can people actually get into the home, and you know, can be very difficult here in Hong Kong without a lot of ramps and, and lots of curbs. Uh, and once you're in the home, ensuring that it's safe. So do you need a railing in the hallway? And I know everyone says, well, I don't want to nail it into that nice wall. We just painted it. 
but it's, it's really necessary. And you walk into the bathrooms, are there grab rails? Do you really need a bathroom seat and, you know, into the shower and that the person will be sitting as opposed to taking a bath? And really trying to accommodate things that uh, prevent people from falling, such as a raised toilet seat, um, and uh, ensuring that really everything is accessible to those individuals. So they're not expensive modifications, but really, really important to ensure that people don't fall. And actually, the number one place that seniors fall, unfortunately, is at night uh, when they have to go to the bathroom. That's Absolutely. the number one place where they fall. Yeah, and I see a lot of the consequences of that as a geriatrician. So this is a very nice segue into our next segment, which then starts talking about some solutions, some practical solutions that all of us can do. So I invite you now to perhaps... Uh, uh, follow us uh, through the second segment, which is about uh, the importance of technology. So if we can play. Making the decision of moving family and our loved ones into a care facility can be really tough. It can generate heated debate and argument. When is the right time? What is the right thing to do? To stay or not to stay at home, that is the question. What can we do to prevent the premature placement of our family into a care facility, to prevent losses and to add life at home? Society is starting to call this move warehousing of seniors. Not a pretty term at all. If you imagine our family being packaged into warehouse containers and then the door slammed shut. You and I do not need to warehouse family that we love or that one in three chance that we may get warehouse ourselves. Take heart, there is hope. As a geriatrics doctor who have looked after thousands of patients over the years, I'm telling you that today we can implement technology to do two things to increase safety and to increase socialization. And immediately, I think about my mom. Mom, that doormat in the front entrance has to go. But son, you don't understand. That doormat is beautiful. It costs a lot of money. And you can't buy it anywhere else. Well, mom, if you want to stay long at home, that doormat is going. It's a tripping hazard and you can fall on it. A fall can have serious consequences. Besides, if you like it so much, hanging up on a wall. <laughs> doormat, gone! Well, to the wall. <laughs> and likewise, we walk around mom's home removing all the decorative tables. Mom used to bang her knees against the tables, another tripping hazard for a fall. They're gone. Mom's home has carpeted floor, which is really nice, keeping her feet warm and softening the impact of a fall. But deep carpet makes it difficult to move a walker around if she needs one. So we decide to change the carpeted floor into hardwood floor, ideally with warm anti-slip footwear. And it's easier for her to move a walker in case she needs one in the future. And then into the bathroom. We want to make sure that the toilet seat is high enough and that there are grab bars there for support so the mom doesn't fall while sitting down in the bathroom. Take action now. Prevent falls. Do you know that falls are the most common cause of injuries in seniors? And every year, on average, three out of ten seniors would fall accidentally. A simple fall can result in a broken hip, creating disability and loss of independence. Take action now. Make your home safe. Safety is the most important consideration for extending senior living at home. Talking about safety, 
Do you know someone who is forgetful? Do you know someone who puts salt instead of sugar in baking that apple pie? Do you know someone who leave a burner on until the pot is burned? And do you know someone who puts laundry detergent into the dishwasher? And I don't count the time when you do it after a few drinks on a Friday night. <laughs> I am committed to watching out for the warning signs of dementia. As a geriatric specialist, I can tell you that seniors with mild or early dementia can still live in a community. They can still live at home without moving into a care facility. What they need is a smartphone, one that has GPS function so that you can use an app on your smartphone to locate them. And you can use the same smartphone to make sure the front door is locked at night and the home appliances are turned off at night, all made possible by connecting home devices via the Internet of Things, or IoT. And I know that all of us should be more patient, walking through seniors how to use each of the app on their smartphone when the memory is still good, so that they won't send us an entire email in that subject line box. <laughs> or they won't send us a text message that contains a bunch of emoticons that are completely unrelated. <laughs> or they won't keep screaming at you on FaceTime, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. So I don't know how many times, if any one of you have ever received that entire email in the subject line box. Short of hands, how many of you actually have received that? <laughs> but uh, on a more serious note, uh, this particular segment highlights some of the tips, practical tips that all of us can do to really help seniors stay longer at home. And the technology that is involved, some of them are relatively simple things. Other involved things like Internet of Things, IoT, uh, GPS tracking function, and so on. Um, on the topic of technology, Janice, what, are, what is your experience in terms of recommending how we deploy technology in particular, in terms of we talk about falls and, and so on? Yeah. So I think there is a growing number of devices for falls. Certainly the one that we use often with our patients is a pendant, which detects falls. I mean, they're getting better. Uh, certainly uh, improving in terms of sensitivity, but you know, if a person falls, then those pendants are able to contact a service, which then uh, you know checks up on your your loved one. So that certainly is one that we have been using extensively uh, with our patients. Uh, it would be better if they people didn't fall in the first place, and I think there is technology coming down the pipeline. Um, in the future, but uh, right now, certainly that's one of the, the call bells that do work. Right. And in my experience, again, working with not just the uh, senior person, but also their families and their care partners, one of the questions is always, when it comes to technology, the resources that are available to, for people to use. In other words, do they have the kind of monetary resources or space requirement that you need to do? So let's put for example, if you look at the Internet of Things, IoT, um, that is based on an assumption that there is broadband kind of Internet set up in the entire home environment, which clearly requires resources. You can imagine the kind of folks, seniors, who would benefit the most are those who live alone. And if they live alone, you know, how can you kind of really expect that kind of setup, not necessarily in every single district, for instance, in Hong Kong. So, I think while um, it is very appealing and attractive for us to think about technology, I think there are some practical nuances that we need to be mindful of. It does speak about the importance of, of um, uh, different uh, infrastructural support that is available. 
And I do think um, for those of you who are interested in getting this list of practical tips that I spoke about, is actually a very um, serendipitous in a way that uh, the Vancouver Sun, so the main newspaper actually in Vancouver, has published a feature story today as we speak. I didn't know they're going to publish it today. They interviewed me last week about the TED Talk, and they wanted to publish a feature article on what are the practical tips that each and every one of us can do to help seniors stay longer at home. I encourage you, you can Google that online. It's available uh, as a new story. It just came out today, in fact, about 12 hours ago. So um, I guess, Janice, looking into our crystal ball, into the future technology that may benefit seniors, based on some of the research you have done and you've seen in literature, any kind of predictions of what we should be looking out yeah. for? Besides self-driving cars, which I really want a self-driving car, uh, which is going to go a huge impact for seniors, I think the ones is on falls. And I think every one of you probably knows someone, a senior, that has fallen. So we have one study running right now at GS Strong Rehab Center, and it uses a wearable robotic device for people with spinal cord injury or stroke where they have some paralysis of their limbs. Uh, this is a 3D printed device, comes right off the printer, and uh, our patients strap it on, and it allows them, if they have paralysis, to actually walk about uh, 150 steps on the first try. So that's fantastic. We're running a trial to see if it will help them uh, recover walking. And I've been speaking with the manufacturers, and they say their next iteration is to develop the same wearable device with sensors so that people don't actually fall or can actually recover the falls. Because right now it actually has little motors that are built into the joints at the ankle and the knee and hip. So you can imagine the future, and I don't think it's far off, uh, where you actually have a boot and that boot has a sensor in it so that if you tip past a certain point, it then writes you. I think we will see that in the next few years. So, you know, if we can prevent falls, that will be absolutely amazing. The number of hip fractures will reduce, um, and, you know, seniors going on to long rehab will reduce. So that's, that's my hope, is to get something that prevents falls. That's awesome. And all of us working in the field certainly have been paying very close attention to what technology can do for us today. The time is now. But many of us oftentimes ask ourselves the question, is technology enough? If it is enough, do we need anything else? So I will now invite you to join us in watching the third and final segment of the video that talks about another very important component, which is social activity or socialization. So if we can have the video going, please. I also think about socialization. It can extend senior living by adding images, conversations, and connections. Do you know that loneliness is the new smoking? Loneliness can have harmful effects on our health, just like smoking 15 cigarettes a day, shaving eight years of our life. Socialization can overcome loneliness and can improve health. Let me introduce you to my Aunt Agatha, my mom's older sister. Having watched what happened to Grandma, Aunt Agatha is determined that she's not going to move into a care facility. So what does she do? She picks up Tai Chi at the age of 70. Who knows what's next for her? Perhaps weight training? <laughs> Aunt Agatha would go to social functions organized by Tai Chi groups all around the world. And recently, she won the gold medal in the senior age category of a Tai Chi competition. Of course, she would post her metal pictures all over her Facebook page. <laughs> I used to think differently about social media. I used to think it is a waste of time. But now I'm connected with my loved ones on Facebook, on Instagram, on WhatsApp, and on Skype. Do you know that the number of seniors over 75 on social media has doubled in the last year? 
I am convinced that getting seniors into the digital age as early as possible is the way to go. Embrace technology before it is too late. Now, face-to-face -face connection is still important because technology cannot replace a real hug. For my loved ones, as they grow older, to stay or not to stay at home, that is the question. When it is the right time, do the right thing. There is going to be a time when moving into a care facility can be the right thing to do. For example, when you can no longer walk or transfer independently, when you're losing your urine or bowel all the time, when you're so frail and your family is totally burned out, when you keep dropping your smartphone in the toilet bowl, okay, I don't count that. But these are tough times, and it takes courage. Courage to get up early from community services. There are many things that all of us can do really to extend senior living at home. In particular, use technology to increase safety and to increase socialization. And now, let me share with you what happened with grandma. My last vacation day in Hong Kong, grandma in that care facility in the steel cot bed her eyes staring blankly across the floor of wandering older people as I sing to her. Moon River, wider than a mile, I'm crossing you in style someday. Grandma says to me, Ming Zai, I'm so sorry, but I cannot cook spot prawns for you. They won't let us cook in here. Grandma, don't be sorry. I love you. Is there anything that I can do for you? Nothing, grandson. I love you too. You've done everything you can and more. Six months later, in that care facility, in that steel cot bed, Grandma passed away. I miss Grandma. My invitation for you, my challenge for you, is to think of one way. One way that you can use technology and your compassion to extend senior living at home so that they can be in familiar surroundings, hanging out with familiar people, savoring familiar memories. Act before it is too late. Do it for yourself or someone you know or your parent or your grandma. As the audience stood up, as I stood on stage, I could feel that my grandma was very proud of me, as I'm sure she would be for what I'm doing here tonight. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit emotional, even all this time. But I think what we talked about is the impact of staying social within communities the socialization aspect. Janice, what, what is your um, experience working with seniors in particular during their rehabilitation process uh, in terms of that importance of that social network? Do you want to share with us? So I think, you know, five, ten years ago, socialization wasn't valued. It was something soft that we did. And what we've really seen over the last five to ten years is really hard evidence that socialization improves the brain function, improves the brain connectivity, reduces 
um, decline, going into dementia, it can improve cognitive function. So with that really strong evidence, we're now really starting to build into rehabilitation socialization and, and what it looks like um, and ensuring that um, caregivers really understand the importance of it. Because I think all of you understand, okay, physical activity, yes, that improves my heart and my walking, things like that. We all value exercise and physical activity. But I don't think we're at that point where we understand socialization. And what hopefully we can convey to you today is that socialization improves the brain. It really does. And so we really have tried to incorporate um, socialization so that it's uh, varied, uh, so patients understand that doing a diverse number of activities is really important. In addition, the more complex the activities, the better. So some activities that are passive, listening to the radio and watching TV is fine, but all the studies show that if you have more complex activities, go for coffee uh, and chatting with somebody else, doing a hobby with somebody else that you're you know, perhaps painting and taking an art lesson, uh, doing some additional education, taking a class at night with a group of other people, those kind of complex socializations are even better for the brain and better for warding off dementia and Alzheimer's. So I think that value of socialization now is really, the evidence is all there, and we're continuing to bring that focus into our rehabilitation. Absolutely. And again, when I see my patients and their loved ones, one of the things that I always emphasize now more than ever is the importance of having some structure in their day-to-day -day living. The structure routine ought to include some form of social activity, some form of socialization. The question I got asked most often by Chinese patients and families is, does mahjong actually help slow down Alzheimer's disease? I got asked that question at least a million times. And my answer is, yes, if she's winning. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, yes, because it is an opportunity to actually promote that social interaction. And in the same way, I have family sometimes coming and say, but Professor Wong, this, you know, our, our loved one, our parents, grandparents, they love singing the Chinese opera. But the problem is they keep singing the same phrase and the same stanza all the time. And I said to them, it's okay. Just imagine your little CD machine is just kind of going a bit awry. But what I'm trying to say is any kind of social activity, socialization, that brings joy and togetherness can be a really good example. It could be as simple as looking at old photo albums, talking about who are these people in that picture, and what happened. We actually have a scientific term for this. This is called reminiscent therapy. It actually works in terms of cognition. So what we are both trying to say is socialization actually has a place to play in combating and overcoming social isolation or loneliness. And as you could hear from the video, I think, um, I, I hope I can convince you that uh, the, the harmful effect of loneliness on health can be significant. What I would like to do before we turn this around and open it up for questions and, and comments is to say, after I've delivered this TED Talk, um, as I was walking out the studio, a number of people came up to me, both men and women, and said, Roger, you are not supposed to make me cry, but I cried, so I apologize. I saw that some of you um, are sobbing and, and wiping, or maybe there was some sand that somehow flew into your eyes for some reason. But I, what I'm trying to share with you is I think in every one of our own minds, we always have a parent or grandparent or a loved one who clearly is aging and clearly can use some of the help that we speak about today. And I again invite you and challenge you to think of one thing, that one way that you can make a difference today
in helping our seniors living longer at home. That is the challenge. Thank you so much for your attention. And with this, we figure that Janice and I will be delighted to take uh, your questions or comments. And I know that we have some floor mics that we can use if necessary. So um, anybody would like to ask a question or make a comment, please go ahead. Yes, this one. in Hong Kong for the past 15 years, and I also have published a lot of papers, academically or non-academically, on health and art. So I'm an artist, but I'm also an art therapist. So anyone who are interested to do it in Hong Kong, come to me, not in Vancouver. I'm doing it in Hong Kong and Southeast Asia. That's very good. Well, thank you for that comment. And in fact, the, oh. pow the power no. of art oh, is... Oh, okay, my husband, Fred, here, want me to talk about my mother. But uh, my mother lived the age of 104, and she passed away about two years ago. I modify her home. I sing and dance with her. I do cooking with her, and I feed her. And my aunt lived to 102. She also stay at home. I also do everything, particularly is really singing and cooking together is most important and take them out if you can. And in Hong Kong, I think most of you are here, have the privilege, we do have helpers. And that's uh, totally is blessing from those in Vancouver. I mean, we do have. And then I train my helpers. I train other social workers. I train other elderly carer how to do massage, how to do singing even uh, the Cantonese songs that you're talking about, the old Chinese opera, my maid can sing to them. And we do everything. I, I train domestic helper in also taking care of that. And also take them, took them to the uh, physiotherapist. So they train her, them how to do uh, daily routine exercise. And it's very easy actually to do at home. But we do not have technology in Hong Kong. So I envy that, and I want to know about that boot. You know, that maybe I can introduce the, the elderly home and the elderly center I'm working with, so that maybe we'll get money. We'll do something in Hong Kong and match up UBC. Thank you. Thank you. I'd just Thank like you. to emphasize a point about uh, getting out of the house, because that is absolutely essential for seniors, is to get them out of the house where the environment is actually very complex, and very stimulating for the brain. So that's a very good point. Absolutely. My mom loved ice cream, so we mm -hmm. always push her, like in the park, in the wheelchair, and then let her sit under the tree and say, ice cream, ma'am. <laughs> and then the doctor said, no, no ice cream. I said, who cares? She's 95, and what's the point of saying, you cannot eat this, you cannot eat that? As long as she will not believe, let yeah. Well, thank you so much for the sharing. Uh, two quick points. The impact of art is very powerful. So art in particular, in, in any form of fine art, painting, um, crochet, anything. The other thing is the importance of uh, the care partners. So caregiver, uh, it can be very stressful looking after a senior at home, in particular those who are vulnerable. So whenever, you know, as a geriatrics doctor, I always teach my residents and my students. I've got a couple of students here today, actually. Delighted to see them. But um, uh, in fact, when we're treating, it's never a single person. It's the, the senior person, but also the family and the unit of people around. So therefore, uh, providing support for the care providers is absolutely essential. So thank you for sharing those. Other questions or comments? Yeah, I would like to thank um, Dr. Wong and Dr. Ng for such an informative section. Those are very good tips to extend uh, the seniors for living at home. But that for some seniors, they do have resistance of using such uh, the technology or the facility because they don't admit that. They don't want to admit that they are that old. How to overcome that resistance? 
is a very common scenario that I see. I would even venture on a daily basis because um, as I indicated in the video, there are times when it can be completely reasonable for us to consider, in particular when safety is compromised at home. And I list a number of common situations in the video, which I'm not going to repeat here. But to answer your question, sir, in terms of that uh, resistance or reluctance, uh, which, by the way, is extremely common, I think you need to think about two things in particular. Number one, try to understand the root cause or the reason behind their resistance. Remember, moving out of their own home represents a significant loss. It is not as simple as you're just changing address. No, it is about losing that environment and everything, including memory and other things that are attached to that environment. So managing that change and the loss is crucial. And secondly, it is also important to remember that as people go through the process, it's a process, not an event, of moving into a new environment, sometimes things can get worse before it gets better. And what can we as care partners and family and loved ones do to bridge that gap? So a good example that I use, and it's actually shared with me by a patient family, is that this, in this particular case, there's advanced dementia, Alzheimer's disease involved. So the senior is moving into a care home. Um, the, the parents, in this case, who loves to, to go to have dim sum for lunch, but because they have moved into a new environment, they are worried about taking the senior out initially of the fear that they might not be willing to return afterwards. So the family has thought about a brilliant idea. They actually have taken out dim sum, put it in a plastic trolley, and they push the trolley around in a care home setting to simulate the environment as if this is a dim sum experience. I'm sharing this because it actually was a real story shared with me with a family member. It shows you how um, innovative in terms of an idea the family could come up with. It also shows you there is oftentimes a different solution around that challenge, which may not be apparent in the first place. So I encourage us to think about those two things. Janice, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, going through the experience of my own uh, parents moving into assisted living, uh, you know, there was two major issues. One was the safety issue, as Roger also mentioned, but also the issue of thriving. And when I look back, I actually wish we had moved my parents earlier because their dementia had progressed sufficiently by the time they got into the assisted living. They really have not made many friends in assisted living because they can't remember their names and they're actually too isolated unless somebody really pushes them. And I think when I look at the other people in assisted living, many of them have made you know, friends and, and they're a little bit higher functioning that they were able to do so. So, there, you know, it, it is a hard balance. My parents really, really did not want to leave their home, um, but they actually weren't thriving. So it may have been better for us to move them a little bit earlier. Yeah, the final thing I would say is, um, I think getting support as care partners, family members, is so important. So I, I would say that certainly in Vancouver, the Alzheimer's Society of British Columbia, and similarly uh, in Hong Kong, the Alzheimer's Society in Hong Kong, they do provide very good support services, in particular for seniors who have dementia syndromes and families who are going through that kind of a change. And sometimes um, uh, new ideas come up as families talk to other families because it's a very similar kind of challenge that they face. So that's another very important piece to think about is to managing that caregiver support. Any other questions or comments? Have you experiences whereby, um, let's say a couple, and then the, specific in my case, the husband passed away, the wife is in the old home, which is large, let's say it's three, 4,000 square feet, is it better to move them into an apartment where it's easier to manage as opposed to moving them to a home, that type of thing, or living in the old home where they still have all the memories from mm -hmm. all those years ago? Mm -hmm. See this very, very commonly. So when one member of the spouses um, have moved on, what, what do we do to help support the remaining member? I would suggest that we go back to what we spoke about in the video and assess like it's a risk-benefit analysis. 
Um, it's almost doing like a financial modeling in some way. So you need to think about uh, what is the safety risk of that person remaining in that environment in the absence of other health conditions such as dementia or stroke or Parkinson's disease or whatever, then oftentimes the safety profile, that risk, is not substantial. And therefore, uh, we do not recommend people to move for the sake of moving per se. So there's always a reason. So I think that's the first thing. The other piece though, which I see more commonly, is um, the importance of making sure that the remaining spouse uh, does not develop other mental health difficulties, such as depression and low mood state. And therefore, that social network that we spoke about a lot tonight, and the vicinity, how close that social network is available to the person, becomes important. So if you're moving the person, it's not so much because of the square footage of the house, but more, oh, maybe there is a network, the social support network is further away. Than, uh, do you need to somehow get them closer together? I think that would be my recommendation. Janice, too. Yeah, and I think uh, one size doesn't fit all. It really has to be looked at with each individual people because some with you know, support coming into the big house may be able to maintain it. Uh, others may, uh, this is the problem with my parents, my father insisted on doing everything and climbing up the ladders and falling despite us bringing in people to cut the lawn and he was just would not let go. We had to move them out. Uh, so I, I think you, know, you have to really look at what situation fits for that, that person. And one thing I would add as well is the approach we take is very interdisciplinary. So you can, and it's commonly like the geriatrician will work with the physiotherapist, the occupational therapist, the social worker, and so on. And in fact, that does illustrate, um, we, we spoke about the Dr. Edwin Leung Chair in Health Aging Program. One of the key pillars of that program that we are so excited about is the interdisciplinarity is to bringing different disciplines together, both within medicine, but also outside of medicine. Because you can imagine, we spoke about housing options, technology, which is more engineering. In UBC, we have a new school of biomedical engineering. We are very excited to bring engineers to deriving health solutions to helping seniors and others who need. So I think that interdisciplinarity is also a very important feature. I would add one more point is that when you do move seniors, it is, really, really perturbing for them. And this is a phenomenon that many of the clinicians see, that when you move them from the home where they are so familiar to an apartment or something else, it's like everything has fallen apart. And it does take, take weeks or months to get back. So don't be surprised that they really need some extra support in those first few months, because that home was such an icon that when you do move them, it, it, it really is quite a perturbation, and it takes a bit of time to get over that. I understand a lot of our audience are in the business field, so as someone who actually had business background, I would recommend you to think about the first principle of change management. So therefore, in, a such, in, in managing a move of a senior, you need to keep the number of changes to a minimum. So move a minimal number of times, don't bounce around, because otherwise it gets even more difficult. I see there's a question. Uh, speaking of technology, are you guys aware of any wearables that are um, developed just for seniors? So maybe they wear something on their wrist if they have a, a fall, and then a, a message goes to their kids' uh, smartphones and say, um, you know, telling them to get help. Okay, yeah. Janice, would you like? Yeah, to go so first? absolutely. So now many of my patients wear a pendant. Uh, around their neck and uh, there's a couple different brands out there. There's one which is activated and actually speaks to the person and, and calls and says, are you okay, are you okay? Uh, other ones send a signal to a call center where they then call either uh, that person or second person on the list, a family member. So those do exist now. Um, at UBC, we actually have a wearable sensor institute uh, and they're really looking at clothing which they can embed uh, to measure everything from your temperature uh, to your heart rhythm, your ECG, your blood pressure. And their hope is to have this for seniors where they can wear these and have a signal going to the home of the caregiver. Um, and one of the things they're even trying to figure out is how do you actually measure stress? Is there some type of measure to actually measure stress? So we are going to see this down in the future, um, wearables, uh, and it, it is coming, and hopefully we'll have better monitoring of seniors. 
Absolutely. And I'll echo the comments. So the uh, current and now uh, wearable devices such as uh, watches that look like a Fitbit, for instance, that can be a fall detector. You heard about that uh, from Janice. The same wearable device can be a medication reminder. Um, in fact, uh, there are some non-verbal things. Uh, the tablet computer technology uh, can have avatars. And I've seen some prototypes of an avatar that could be a, a, a kitty cat or a puppy. And you can choose and you can speak to the avatar and say, I want to listen to music. And it will actually stream your favorite type of music and bring in the socialization aspect. Moving forward, the future, and I, in fact, I was talking about this when I was in London, England, uh, a number of months ago at the uh, Travel Whole World Lecture at the British Geriatric Society. The future hospital may look something like this. For seniors who tend to fall, they will be wearing wearable device, of what we talk about, that will detect an impact as they fall. Their flooring at home will have pressure sensors that can do risk prediction to predict the probability of a hip fracture, like a broken hip. And that signal will be collected, data science, big data, sent to a reasonably close by hospital, and then the medical record could be pulled from big data, and in fact, the operating theater and the x-ray facility in the hospital will be automatically primed to receiving that patient. In other words, all this is being autom automatic. And then if you put in precision health, looking into tailoring treatment for the individual person, the genomic analysis of that person, if it is available, will become available now to the treating doctors so that the medication that is actually prescribed for the person will be tailored to producing the fewer uh, side effects or uh, undesirable adverse effects and with maximum benefit. So this is not necessarily science fiction. This is something that likely will happen within the next five to 10 years. My, my mother uh, suffers from dementia, not very seriously, but seriously enough for me. Um, so she loves to travel, but the last time we took her traveling, it was very disorienting for her. Mm -hmm. And um, as is anything that is different from her regular schedule, yep. then she'll not know where she is, and and it will make her um, very. It will con well creates a very stressful situation for her, yeah. and then she, and it seems like her condition worsens in those yeah. situations. So, should we take her to travel? I mean, that's an extremely common scenario, and I typically get asked a question by family members who are trying to, again, you know, in Vancouver, they're trying to travel back to Hong Kong or China or Taiwan. Like, that's a standard question I get asked. What you describe is a very common complication called delirium or acute confusion state. In seniors who have dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease, they're at risk for developing acute confusion or delirium. And a classical example, in this case, technically, is called translocation, a change of location. So in other words, normally people get jet lag. In this situation, a jet lag lasts much longer, much more serious, and people can get very disoriented and confused. The function can dip. And my advice is you really ask yourself, what is the reason for that travel? If it is really important from a quality of life point of view, I get it. And what you do is to try to help prepare the family and the senior person that this is likely going to happen and how do you manage it. It's difficult, not easy. But if the purpose is not necessarily to enhance quality of life, and most commonly the answer is, well, because they want to go see a grandchild, then my standard response is get the grandchild here. So you fly the person, the younger person, to get to, to, to the senior. You know what I mean? So I think that, that is something that is very common. I would say short distance travels within the regional area is a lot easier than long distance travel, anything over eight or nine hours. Janice, do you want to add anything? Yeah, so I, I think that's similar to the move where we see seniors take quite a long time. And if your trip is fairly short, it, it may be too short for you know, your loved one to really accommodate and, and start to enjoy themselves. The other thing I would warn you for any of those that are, are traveling with seniors is to really ensure 
about accessibility for the washrooms. You need to phone ahead. Does the hotel have a, you know, a, a grab bar in, in the washroom? Because the other thing is when they do get some delirium or confusion, they also tend to fall more. And so unless you're there every single second, that can be very difficult, at least having it. And most hotels have a few, not many, rooms that will be equipped with grab bars, will have a really accessible shower and things like that. So do check on that if you are traveling. Okay, uh, I think, yes. Any, um, any practical advice on convincing the senior to wear this fall device all the time that you guys have? <laughs> Or using it? Even? Yeah. So um, yeah. So the one my parents have is they, they don't even notice it anymore. They, they're, it's just around their neck. They they I don't think they know they actually have it on. So they're fairly discreet. Some of them are bracelets that they just wear, um, and and I think that is helpful that they're not not so obvious that they're a fall detection device. So I don't think my mother could actually take it off if she wanted to. Um, and so, because it is a necklace and, and it d doesn't come over her head, so those, those are some things. I'll consider. share with you a slightly different scenario. In individuals, seniors who actually have dementia syndromes, who tend to wander off. And you could imagine, um, in, in an environment such as in Canada, when the winters can be very austere and very cold, it is a real risk of um, getting like hypothermia and even maybe um, seniors. Um, have died actually being left out in the cold in their pajamas, for instance, in the middle of the night. A strategy there, rather than wearing like um, a device around the neck or along the, the, the wrist, is actually get, getting a chip and putting the chip under the sole of the shoes, assuming they only have one pair of shoes. And this is like the GPS tracking function that you actually can use an app on your mobile to track where is mom or where is grandma or so on. Um, that technology is available, and in fact, uh, most of our patient families would just Google online and try to purchase the chip and try to subscribe to a service of that tracking. So um, there are variations of how you implement it, but I think what, what we're illustrating is um, just having kind of a, an innovation and a new way of thinking through some of these things can be very, very helpful. Actually, many of my patients really like the pendant. They feel that it gives them more confidence and less fear of falling. So they know if they are to fall that there will be some support system. So actually many of my patients have told me that they actually go out more with having that, that pendant. So uh, there is the reverse of that as well. Right. And with that, you know, on behalf of Janice and myself, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us this evening. We hope that you had an enjoyable time um, both kind of watching me in person and on screen, but also uh, having this conversation that we have tonight. Um, it, it gives us great pleasure to be able to share with you. We cover a huge breadth of topics tonight, and hopefully, um, in fact, uh, if you have any further questions, we encourage you to stick around during the um, reception, I understand, and uh, we'll be delighted to have that conversation. So once again, thank you so much.